filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and uh, Grieving Podcast, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Madam Taylor, Jason Anderson is here. Ben Bromley is uh, sitting vigil on top of a mountain somewhere uh, dealing with this week's news. Uh, It's Friday night as we record this. Uh, DC United earlier this week lost 4-1 to at NYCFC. They have a game coming up against the Chicago Fire on Sunday. We're not going to talk about either of those because uh, there's been some intervening news. Federico Iguain will be traded to Inter Miami. Um, no, that's not the news. Ben Olsen is no longer the head. Oh, I thought you were going to say the international roster spot trade was the news. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that no. Uh, <laughs> uh, ben Olsen is no longer the head coach of DC United after more than a decade at the helm. Um, he has. Uh, stepped aside uh, or been asked to step aside, whatever, uh, been fired, whatever phrasing you want to use is, is I think valid at this point. Uh, he will retain a role of some kind in the organization. It's unclear what that will be, um, but that was a part of his contract when he, he got an extension a few years ago. Um, he's under contract through next year, 2021. Um, so he he will be around, but Ben Olsen will not be leading the team. He won't be in the technical area. You won't see him on the touchline um, probably ever again during a game. And that is, um, it, it was a, a long time coming, if you ask a lot of people. Um, and it was certainly time. And he said as much in his, in, in a statement. It's weird that when a coach is let go, it's weird to see their own statement in the team's press release but uh that is the unique relationship that ben olsen had with dc united and with uh the fans i think uh that he straight up said in in that press release that this is the right decision it was time uh for him and for the organization to to do something different um and it's i i think the experience the emotion that i've experienced over the last day and change since the news broke is, is loss. It's, it's not relief. It's, it's not anger. It's not happiness. It's loss. Like Ben Olson has been the coach of this team since before we started this podcast, this podcast has been around for a long dang time. (laughs) And Ben Olson is the only head coach of DC United we've known since this podcast launched. And that will not be the case when the team takes the field on Sunday, Chad Ashton will be interim head coach. Um, he's a longtime assistant. He was actually passed over for, uh, for in favor of Ben Olson when Kurt Anolfo was, was let go. Uh, the assumption, uh, my assumption at the time had been that Chad Ashton would be the interim head coach, but they appointed Ben Olson instead. 
So now he, 10 years later, he, he gets to, to step up into the interim job. Um, but it's a long time with a head coach and there's, there's a lot of emotions that go beyond his coaching career right. here, right? Like he was a club legend. He will always be a club legend. He uh, was allocated to DC United out of the University of Virginia in 1998, came in, won rookie of the year, won a championship, won uh, an MLS Cup MVP, was best 11, was an all-star. Um, played in a World Cup. Played in a World a Cup. Player. Yeah. yeah. It did that after injuries wrecked his natural position on the right yeah. of midfield and turned him into a a gritty central midfielder. That was not his original no, playing style. Not at all. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there was a stat going around um, from Opta that said that as a coach or as a player, he participated in 71.1% of DC United's games. What's wild is that that number would be significantly higher if it wasn't for that injury. Um, he went, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 20 months between games uh, at one point um, because of the number of ankle surgeries he ended up needing. Um, so yeah, as much as people were like, that's an incredible stat, it's actually, it's a, a it's underrepresented. Like the first thing I said, and, and Adam, you saw this in the, the site chat. Was that like, feels low. Yeah, I was like, I'm surprised it's that low um, because technically, technically his DC United career started in 1997. Um, the allocation happened before the draft. They did that right before New Year's Eve um, of 97. I, I saw this looking up this stuff to get my numbers right for the article um, that that I wrote. And yeah, it, it's uh, we're talking about something that happened, I mean, literally in the previous century. Um, this is a, a thing that's been, yeah, he's been a fixture for this entire time. And, and you know, we don't know what his role with the club is going to be, um, but it's probably safe to say it won't be as visible. Um, I, I, I mean, I should probably shouldn't even speculate as to what it might be, but like, it's probably not going to be a situation where you're seeing him every week. And that's been the norm forever. Um, you know, Dave Johnson posted that clip of Olsen's first goal as a pro Um and just it, it just it'll take you back to a whole different era of MLS. Um, you're seeing a venue that uh, doesn't exist. It's the old Soldier Field um, uh, against the Chicago Fire when they uh, they were an expansion team. They were a brand new expansion team. Um, they were playing. They were wearing Nike kits. Uh, another thing that you haven't seen in MLS in quite a long time is anyone wearing a Nike kit. Um, yeah, it's 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 wild. Like it's hard to, it's hard to believe that, that the era is over because it has extended for so long and, you know, at DC United. And I think um, Brian Strauss did a really good job of illustrating this in the article he wrote. I think that came out today as we're recording on Friday Um, for a very long time uh, around DC United especially once the team moved out of RFK because at RFK, at least there was like, this was the building all that stuff happened in all the trophies were lifted here. The hall of tradition is visible from the stand. You can see it. You, you, you can't miss it. Um, But the, the signs of history in 2018, 2019, 2020, we haven't had games uh, that fans could be at to see him in the stadium, but the, the signs of history during a game 
uh, for DC United at Audi Field was Ben Olsen standing on the sideline. Um, he he was the visible totem of the team's history um, and and the tradition of success. And now he won't. That won't be the case anymore. Um, so it's a very it's a very strange feeling. Um, it's a very strange. You know, it's hard to figure out where the team's going to go because we've had multiple ownership groups come and go um, with Olsen as coach. We've had um, player groups come and go. Uh, everything has changed except for him. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I agree that, you know, what you said that the team had to make a change. We've been talking about this for a little while now. Um, I actually kind of thought that after the Nashville and Revs game, um, I was ready to start writing that article just to have it ready um, because I didn't want the news to break while we were unprepared. Um, and they gave, they, they gave more time. They gave the Atlanta game and I said, Oh, well, maybe they'll wait till the end of the season. Right. And then after the, after the Atlanta game, I thought, well, this is probably it. Like it, it's really not getting better. It's not going to happen now. Right. Um, and so again, I was prepared. I, I had already, you know, I left myself a note with the things I had, I was sure I had to touch on in the piece because it became an expected thing. Um, but again, they, they went another game and I was like, well, it, you know, if they keep going another game, you, you figure they'll wait till the off season. Um, but, uh, you know, may, maybe, maybe this was a situation where maybe he came to them and said, look, something's obviously not working. We need to talk it out. I, I don't know. We don't know the right. process uh, yet. Um, we, we know some stuff, you know, we know it's at least sort of amicable because like you said, the team released the statement that included a lengthy statement from Ben Olsen. And normally when a coach is told to stop coaching a team, the, the coach does not get a chance to, uh, have any parting words. Um, at least normally, not in the, the press release announcing it. Right, right. Normally they have to contact media themselves and do it like that. Um, but it's. Yeah. It's it's a completely different relationship than any other coach in the league had with their club, and, and that includes Peter Vermes, who's the only coach that's been at one MLS club as a coach for a longer period of time than Ben Olson. Um, and he's only got it's only by one year. He started in two thousand nine, um, but yeah, there's no there is no relationship between an individual and their club that is quite like Ben Olsen's. I think the closest in the entire league's history that you can come up with is Brian Schmetzer in Seattle. Um, but with all due respect to him as a player, he was never quite a club legend status player. He was a guy that played for the team for a long time, but he was not necessarily a, like, this is one of the greatest players to ever wear the shirt for us. Um, and also he was an assistant coach for a long time, which is necessarily a lower profile role. Um, right. Ben Olsen was a starring player for his entire career as a player with DC United and then spent a couple of months as an assistant coach and then became the head coach. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it feels bizarre, uh, frankly, to be talking about a DC United team that doesn't involve him in some sort of critical role. Yeah, um, I'm still struggling to to put it to words, and mm -hmm. I wrote 800 words about it yesterday <laughs> that that ran this morning on Black and Red United. Um, a lot of that was about looking forward and what 
the organization needs to do next. And I, I think we'll, well, let's get to that now. I, I guess we've, we've said yeah, our piece on, on what he means. Uh, I will always love Benny and I will always want him to be involved with DC United. And um, I guess I, I do want to shout out just like the things beyond the field that endeared him to the fan base. And especially to me, I'm, I am the DC Stan on this podcast mm-hmm. and Ben Olsen lives seriously 10 blocks from my house. Like I can walk there. Um, I've seen him. His artist studio is around the corner from my house. Uh, I've literally seen him riding his bike down my street and we, he stopped and had a 20 minute conversation with me where he and I like just hashed out. This was back when um, there was a meme going around of pick the best players in your team's history, but don't repeat any countries. Mm -hmm. And he, he just like was immediately, he's like, yeah, I'm into this. Let's go. And he like, went through the entire club's history with me. And like, we, we shouted names back and forth basically mm-hmm. uh, about who, who would be in this spot and where do you want to use the American versus an Argentine? Who's the Brazilian who it was, it was a lot of fun. And like Benny's just, he loves this team and its history and, and he is always willing to talk about it. And it, it was great. And like, that's a memory I'm going to cherish because it was just nerding out about DC United with Ben Olsen uh, on my street while my kids are playing. Well, this is something I tweeted out earlier that, um, you know, Mark McClure, who works for MLS now, but spent a lot of time working for DC back in the day, um, pointing out that, um, you know, Olsen's status as a DC resident um, isn't just, one, it's not normal um, for not just DC United, but athletes in this region. Uh, I tweeted this out that, they tend to live in the well-to-do suburbs on either side of the state borders. They don't tend to live in DC. Um, I've had all day to think about it since tweeting out. And the only example I could think of, of another person attached to any of these teams that lived in DC and not, not just temporarily when they first got here, uh, Clyde Sims mm-hmm. and Clyde Sims had, um, I, I think he rented his basement apartment out to, various players that joined the team. I think Brandon McDonald lived, lived there at some point. Right. And um, he lived on Capitol Hill, like blocks yeah. away from RFK. Right. But everyone else uh, gets here and, you know, Julian Gressel, for example, he lived in DC for a few months and then moved out into Virginia. Paul Ariola now lives out in Ashburn. Part of that is, you know, the training ground is way out there. So you know, that's the everyday. So on to some degree, I get it. Um, but it is a rare thing. I've lived here all my life. You know, I, I grew up in Crofton and the Washington Capitals over half of their roster lived in, in Crofton, uh, despite being the Washington Capitals. I would see those guys from time to time. Um, George Murison lived out there. Uh, you couldn't, it's easy to spot George Murison. He was seven <laughs> foot seven, the only seven foot seven guy in town. Um, he also, as an aside, had a great Dane that was tall enough to match. Like it was an appropriate sized dog for a seven foot seven person. Um, but yeah, like this is, this has been the norm around here forever is that athletes tend to live outside the city. Ben Olsen moved. He didn't start in the city, but as he, as he got older, he moved in and moved in hit the story. He tells us he got a little closer with every move until, um, he moved over to Shaw and has been there ever since. And he's raising his kids as DC residents. They're going yeah. to DC schools. Um, he's representing the city 
um, or not representing the city, but um, taking public stances on city politics. Um, yeah. You know, standing really, up, really, literally standing up for the people of DC, which is a you know marketing slogan the team used, but it it's true. Yeah, he's he's been a statehood advocate and uh, participated in the no hate campaign for LGBTQ rights. Um, like you said, he's, his kids go to a charter school, again, around the corner from my house. Like I've seen him dropping off his kids at school. He's just a part of the community here, which is is kind of unique because he's Ben Olson, but he's also Ben who lives down the street. Uh, and that's like, it, it's so humanizing and endearing. And um, anyone who's ever had a conversation with him has, I think, come away like, enjoying it and liking him and he he just as a person and like you see this when you hear jim Curtin talk about it or uh nick de leon who didn't exactly leave on great terms right. um but they've all been asked about ben's departure and they Curtin said i'm not joking when i say they should build a statue of ben olsen outside audi field and Nikki's first response was, it hurts. Like, yeah. he's the guy that drafted me and believed in me. And I've had seven great years playing for him. Like, there's a reason Benny is beloved, not just right. by fans, but within the league. He's, and, and by journalists, like, people who actually know him will not say a word against him. Um, that they'll, I think they'll agree that it was time to make this change. And th- there's not a lot, a lot of disputing that, honestly. Um, but like on a human level, it's nothing but love and respect. And um, that's, that's as it should be. I think that goodwill that Ben carried with him, uh, that there's an argument being made that's not completely off base, that the organization of DC United exploited that goodwill a little bit to um, paper over some cracks in, in the organization's operations. Early on, it was uh, Benny was the face and you use that goodwill because the team has no money to spend on players or facilities or anything else while they were at RFK. And that changed over time, right? Like they did get Audi Field open. They did get uh, Loudoun United launched. They did get Wayne Rooney. They paid a lot of money for Lucho Acosta and then later for Edison Flores, for Edison or for Ola Kamara. Um, they're spending money now. But there's still some operational deficiencies that you can identify even from the outside. Um, The team lurches from year to year. They don't have a set plan. And before any speculation happens, I don't think we're going to do any speculation on the next manager, head coach, whatever, of DC United tonight on this show. Um, Some of that's out of respect for Benny. And some of it's because I have no idea what this team wants to be. I don't know what the organization wants to be. And I think you have to have that vision. You have to make that decision before you can hire a coach because the coach is a functionary. The coach should not, at least in the setup that we have, we don't have the, the all important manager who sits atop the pyramid, the way you think of soccer in the, the olden days in Europe or South America. This is a modern sports operation where you have a business side and a sports side and you don't have just a chairman and a manager arguing with each other about money and, and everything you have, uh, you have an owner, you have potentially a president, you have someone who runs the soccer operations and everything funnels down from there. And the manager is the guy on the field. 
and he should have a say in the players, but he's executing a vision, at least in MLS, most successful teams. That's the model they use. And I think that's the model DC United should use, which means they need to figure out a vision. And I almost, I mean, I, I, I do strongly care what that vision is, but I almost don't care what the vision is as long as there is one. Well, you know, you mentioned Jim Curtin, um, and we talked about this off the air, earlier off the air, as if this is broadcast via radio waves. It's not. Um, but uh, one thing that differentiates Olson and Curtin is that the Philadelphia Union have an institutional plan. There is a very clear vision of what they want to be. Uh, Ernst Tanner was hired. Ernie Stewart was hired before him. And both of those were big off the field, expensive hires from European clubs. And the idea was we want to be a high pressing team that plays a certain, certain way, mostly out of a certain formation. I mean, Ernst Tanner told Jim Curtin, like you're playing a diamond. You're not playing four, two, three, one anymore. You're, you're pressing out of a diamond. Yeah. You're, the diamond is what we're doing. That's what's happening. Um, and we're going to build up our Academy. We're going to put resources into it and we're going to develop players that will be participating you're going to have to put those players into games on a regular basis because Um, the only way this works is if we're selling them and getting that reinvestment yeah so so there was a cohesive plan put together and jim Curtin, to some extent doesn't have as much control as ben olsen did over how dc united looked because there was someone above him that was like this is what we're doing your job is to execute the plan um, you have some latitude within that, but there is a clear plan that you have to do. And if you don't do it, there's going to be problems. Um, and so he has that guidance that, that, uh, that for so many of the, so much of this, this era of DC United hasn't been there. Um, you know, in the early years of Olsen's tenure, it really was just every single year. It was like, how do we put together a, a roster? Um, it wasn't, let's put together a roster to play our given style. It was like, look, the following players got too old last year. Um, this guy got sold. We got to replace them. You got to find some of them. Um, here's some players, figure it out. Um, and so it's felt like the team has been figuring, figuring it out, but it's always in that we're figuring it out phase and not the, this is the plan. And year one will look like this and year two will look like this and year three. Well, and that um, was actually a criticism of, of Ben from a lot of corners um, mm-hmm. is every year the team would go through a little downs period, even in the good years, there'd be a down period. And he'd say, we're figuring ourselves out right now. And it's like, yeah, because there's not a set identity that you know you're aiming for or right. that you're building on year after year. It's you have these players and this is who's available. Find a way to make it work. And that's it, which can be really liberating in some circumstances, but is not a sustainable way to compete right. for trophies. You're, you're, you're buying a lottery ticket yeah. every year, um, you know, and that's why we had seasons where like, you know, 2011, they revamped the roster, which they had to do, um, but you're doing it without a lot of money. So it, it was an ad hoc thing that wasn't terrible, but it wasn't quite good enough. Um, 2012 they made some improvements but then they lost a couple key pieces and the rest of that group got old or hit a wall form wise or whatever it was in 2013 was terrible and then 2014 through 
basically all the MLS mechanisms that are super MLS-y. Um, they were, you know, I think it was what, uh, from three wins to 17 wins uh, yeah, that year. That was, was the year was coach something. of the year. Um, that was the year that if if DC had beaten Seattle at home instead of losing one nothing in a game that was like, it was an international window game. So it was like the half the starters were missing from both teams. Uh, if that game goes the other way, DC wins the supporters shield that season. Um, but uh, this is, this is the thing that happens when you don't really have a plan. It's this inconsistency and this difference in approach every year. This is one of the reasons why I always rejected the Benny ball terminology because the team's so often were different, markedly different in how they were trying to go about the game. Um, you know, 2016 DC United had two two distinct teams. One team was a quote unquote Benny Ball team, and then the second half of the year was a like everyone attack, everyone go forward as direct. We're going to win this game four to three. Yeah, we're going to score as many goals as we can. It's going to be crazy. Um, and that was the way it worked for so long because it was it was always the plan was just let's see what we can do to win some games in the next couple of weeks. Um, and maybe we make the playoffs and then maybe we make some noise. And so often the blame for that fell on Ben Olson when that's an institutional problem. Um, if you have an institution that says we have a clear plan and the coach says like, I'm going to ignore that. And, and, you know, every couple of weeks it's going to change somewhat or every, you know, every season is going to be different. There's going to be that disconnect uh, and that lack of a sort of a narrative arc to this plan following a, a, you know, something that makes sense that you can see coming, um, you know, then that coach probably doesn't stick around because the people above him are like, Hey, we made a plan and you're not following the plan. Um, but DC United spent so many years not having a plan. Um, and some of that is the financial instability. Um off the field in, you know, famously in 2012, they let so many people go from the organization to cut costs. Um, so you lose that institutional familiarity with what this is supposed to look like. Um, and it really became a, an ad hoc, you know, this, it's it sort of, it, in a way, it reminds me of like uh, various rec league teams I've played on where maybe three or four people stick around, but then everyone else is like, Oh, I can't do Mondays anymore. Um, and the next season, it's it's mostly different because you've got different players. Like, oh, this year we've got a really good goalkeeper. And then, you know, in the fall, it's like, yeah, our goalkeeper, uh, you know, he doesn't want to be a goalkeeper anymore. So now we don't have a goalkeeper, and that sucks. And now we're bad again. Um, it's this uh, just in the club has never just set its feet and said, this is what we're going to do. And maybe this coming year is going to suck. Um, but it's in service of year two, year three, year four. Um, and if there's one thing we can say about what DC United needs to do in the future, it is that this is the moment they have to actually say, we need a plan. We have to set our feet and come up with a plan and stick to it uh, for a while. And maybe 2021 isn't the best season as a result. But you, you it can't be the sort of, trying to figure it out every single year. And I feel uh, on so, to some extent that Olsen was handcuffed by that because there was always that we're figuring it out aspect. You know, 2018, he finally gets 
all these, you know, these players, Lucho's around and then Rooney's added. Um, you have this um, unusual season though. And he ended up having to play two very distinct brands of soccer um, to get through the road trip half of that season. And then to play a completely different thing in the home half of the season. Um, and they couldn't recapture that magic in 2019. Some of that is on him. Um, it's not all organizational, right. but um, it's just another example of the team went and got Wayne Rooney, but it wasn't, that wasn't a complete plan. It was an idea. It wasn't a plan. It was like, well, we'll get Wayne Rooney and that will reinvigorate the, you know, the notoriety of the team locally, which it did. And it will add a really talented player, which it did. Um, and it did bring a lot, but it wasn't a plan. And when, and also like Rooney at his age, that's not a, that's not a long-term solution. It's anyway. not a building block. It's a final piece. Right. It's a, it's um, a final centerpiece for a year or two. Right. Um, or a year and a half as it turned out to be. And, and this is what has lacked so often. And in the, at RFK, you could kind of understand because it was tough to, you know, plans take resources. It's not yeah. a thing that you can just do on a whim. You have to have the time, the money to put into things. And right. when you're didn't. in survival mode, you're you're looking at the next week. You're not looking right. at five years down the road because if you don't survive the next week or the next year, five years doesn't exist. Like this team was had was in an existential survival mode for several years and they never really fully exited that. It feels like at least as far as their on field planning uh, goes where I'm sure they are doing scouting and looking at people down for a year or two away, but I don't know if the horizon's any farther away than that. Right. And it, it, it definitely needs to be like, you need to be planning to be sustainable over a long term If you want to compete for trophies year after year, like DC United really is their birthright from, from the beginning. Yeah. This is what the expectation is. Um, when, you know, we're recording this show and and I'm looking at my screen right now and Adam's wearing a DC United jersey and I've got a banner on my my the back of my door and there's four stars uh, above the badge. Um that that's a that weighs a lot. Um and that it says something that if you're the Revs, you don't have this obligation. Um because the expectation is not hey, this is supposed to be the team that wins all the trophies. What the hell? Where's my trophies? Um, the expectation is like, well, we're going to have a team and they're going to play some soccer games and then the season will end and something might happen. It might not, who knows? That's, that's a new England problem or a, um, Colorado problem. Um, DC is not supposed to be in there, but you know, the last few years, and, and this is another thing that Brian Strauss brought up is that what separates the modern DC United from the pack. And increasingly it's, it's not all that much. Um, and that's got to change. Um, and the clubs that are making moves towards differentiating themselves from the pack are the ones that have come up with a long-term vision and then implemented it correctly. Um, because that's the other thing is you can have a good long-term vision and screw up the implementation and then you have a different problem. Um, to bring it to DC United, back in 2008, uh, Kevin Payne had a very ambitious long-term vision and the 2007 team that won the Supporter Shield and probably goes on the win MLS Cup, in my opinion, if they don't have Jaime Moreno and Luciano Emilio both get injured on the eve of the playoffs, um, that was a team that had a viable path towards 
uh, winning for the next couple of years, but that was it. And Kevin Payne said, we need to take the next step. We're now allowed to sign uh, the Beckham rule, as as it used to be called, lamentably, uh, back in the day. <laughs> uh, it opened the door for making a big move. And Kevin Payne was so, he had, he was so invested in doing that and having that ambition that they had the perfect guy lined up in Juan Sebastian Verone. And when that didn't work, instead of doing the right thing and being like, okay, our huge all-in push is is not going to work because the guy that we wanted is not going to make it here. They went after Marcelo Gallardo, who was famously injury prone, and then he got here and he was injured for half the season. And DC United spent years dealing with the undoing of their roster uh, that came from that that push. So that was a, a, a situation where the plan was in place, but the implementation contained big mistakes and you pay for it. Um, we're now looking at the other side of that where, you know, you can't be a team that doesn't have a plan anymore in MLS. You're not going to win trophies that way. Um, there's a reason why Toronto FC and Seattle keep going to MLS Cup. Um, you you touched on this in your article, Adam, the, the, the Sounders. Um, and we talked about this a while ago. Um, Garth Lagerway was out there when Dave Casper's contract was up. Garth yep. Lagerway was not a GM. And he had left was a RSL chance. looking for right. other, and he, other and opportunities. He has, he has DC roots. He went to law school here. He was the team's color commentator at one point. Um, you know, that opportunity looms pretty large now because you look at what the Sounders are, and it's a team that has a year-over-year success. They Sometimes they lose players, but they rebuild. And it seems like last... every year that they lose a center back, and they're just like, it's fine, we got another one. Um, Over the last 68 games, which is two – the last 68 regular season games, Jeremiah Ocean figured out they have a points per game and that's two regular seasons effectively a 2.00 point per game, which is absurd. That's like championship level yeah. year after year year. Um, like it's just so consistent. And, and Brian Schmetzer is a big part of that, but Garth Lagerway is, is the guy who is doing that. He's just magic. He knows what the F he's doing. Yeah. Um, better than just about anyone else. And it it helps that he has the resources that Seattle have, and that's got to be a part of the vision. This sure. this organization has resources, and they can be a a group that, um, you know, tries to sell out big games when there's a famous opponent in town, or they can try to go after a Wayne Rooney type again as part of a plan to make this team sustainable and viable in every dimension, which I think is the obvious correct way to go. It's hard, but you have to do the hard thing sometimes. Like yeah. um, it'll be better. Like you can have this equilibrium where the team is now where there are empty seats in the stands and you can charge a little bit more for, for tickets here and there to try to, you know, get money from the the single ticket crowd. Or you can try to sell out every game and have very few single game tickets available because everyone wants to be there for every game, which Seattle has managed to do their entire existence to the point that they extended uh, capacity in, in CenturyLink Field uh, year after year because there was so much demand for it. And they've managed that. But um, Sporting Kansas City also, I think a decade basically of consistent sellouts there. It's... Yep. And and speaking of yeah. a team with a plan, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, they they've modified their plan over time. Yeah, like which they, you're going to have to do. 
Yeah, uh, and that's the way it should be. You shouldn't throw out a plan wholesale. You say, right. all right, here's the plan. And every year you look at it, you say, where did we come up short against the plan? Is that something we can avoid? Is that a problem with the execution? Is it a problem with the plan itself? And if it's a problem with the plan itself or the execution is impossible, then you tweak the plan. And you say, all right, we're not going to press constantly if we're sporting Kansas City. We're going to be a team that plays in uh, transition from slightly deeper spaces. And we need a center forward to put goals away because that's what we've been missing. So we're going to go get Alan Plito. Um, like they, they knew what the one piece was and what the profile was and how to get it because they had this foundation. And it wasn't just, we're going to find the biggest, most famous player to put in. We know exactly how this guy's going to work. And we know he's going to score X number of goals because of all the scouting we've done and the platform we have on the field already. It's, and I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. And the Sporting Kansas City is a good example um, because they're in MLS's middle class, which is what DC is. Um We've talked about this a lot on the show, but I feel compelled to again remind people that the idea that DC United never spends is demonstrably false. Um, It is as false as going out inside and saying that the sun does not exist anymore. Uh, We know that they spend money on players and on other things. They've opened two stadiums in the last couple of years. Uh, They're working on a training ground. The training ground would be close to being open if it weren't for COVID. Um, These are major expenditures. Edison Flores is a major expenditure. Paul Ariola, Wayne Rooney, all the all these players that have come in. It's four years in a row where they've spent seven figures on a single player at least once, if not more than once. Um, they're not spending like TFC, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not spending. Um, so this is when you're looking for people or teams to follow. Um, broadly speaking. Uh, Sporting Kansas City is a, a really good one because they assembled a long-term plan. They invested in infrastructure uh, so that the players that come through there get maximized. Um, th- their abilities are are better off. Kansas City is pretty notorious for spending on the sports science side, spending on um, analytics, things like that. Um, the equipment in the building, the, the mm-hmm. training equipment, all that stuff. Yeah, the um, creature comforts. I, re- I remember an interview, I think, with Aurelian Collin um, mm-hmm. about his time there. And he said, I, I was going as a favor to my agent. I, I had no real interest in moving to Kansas as part of my career. And I get there and I see this stuff that is like the equipment in the building is on par with Real Madrid yeah. <laughs> and with with the biggest clubs in the world. And, and he's like, OK, maybe I can play here. And it's just right. like it's a different mindset. And and these things make a long-term difference. Um, you know, looking at DC United, one glaring thing this year, and I, I don't think it has everything to do with the long injury list, but they had Johnny Northeast. He went, he moved back to England uh, to be closer to his family, which is a sensible thing to want to do. But uh, if you're DC United, you can't just leave that position unfilled. And that that is what they've done. They have training staff, but they don't have a degree holding head of sports science. They don't have an equivalent or more qualified person in that role right now. Um, And these are the kind of things that, that can undermine what you're trying to do, whether it's the ad hoc plan of recent years, or if it's 
a longer term vision. Um, you know, some of the equipment at Audi Field is state of the art. Uh, some of it isn't. Uh, some of some of it isn't there. Um, we, we'll, you know, once the training facility opens, we'll get more of an idea of what they plan doing there. Um, they've talked a big game about what that place is going to be like, um, but we don't know right now because it's all, you know, it's it's paperwork and and dirt movers right now. There's no way to say exactly what it's going to be in the end. Um, but all of that stuff, those things contribute in a big way long term. And there's a reason why an MLS club that has that level of support off the field can get by with a coach that is newer. Um, you know, Jesse Marsh is a, an example of someone who his first year in Montreal was not anything special as a coach. It was fine. Uh, there's not, this was not the first year of a, a, re, a relevatory first season for a new coach. Um he went to the Red Bulls from the Impact Tour, another team that tends to do it completely off the cuff. They're chaotic. Um, Whereas the Red Bulls fun... are the exact opposite. Right. When you go to the Red Bulls, there is a guide. Um, our, you know, the, the folks at Once a Metro wrote extensively about this. Um, there is an instruction manual, effectively. Um, and How to Ralph Ball. <laughs> yeah, and he isn't in the position he is where he is probably the most respected American coach among American soccer fans at this point. Part of that is just, well, he's in Europe, so therefore he mm -hmm. must be better. Um, but some of that is too what he has accomplished there. But he isn't there without the institutional support that the, unfortunately, the Red Bull organization uh, set up at that club. Um, and, you know, the teams, that, the, the successes around the league, the teams that have impressed LAFC is another example where they spent on this off the field stuff. It's not just that Bob Bradley uh, is one of the better coaches. It's not just that Carlos Vela is Carlos Vela. It's all this other stuff they did. Um, and if DC United wants to be an attractive destination for Ben Olsen's replacement, if they want to have success, they have to do some of that stuff or all of it um, to compete in MLS, especially if you're not if you can't solve your problems by signing Sebastian Giovinco for Sebastian Giovinco money, um, if you don't have $20 million to invest in two players in the next off season, which DC United is almost certainly not going to have, how else, how do you compete? How do you actually go out and try and contend anyway? Um, and there are models around the league that show us how it can be done, but they have to do it. And so uh, to bring it back to Olsen, I feel I feel bad for him that he never got that yeah. um, because, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just, it's obvious that that was the way that things had to be. And yes, you know, playing at RFK, it, it limits the ability to spend. I, these are very wealthy people that have owned the team, every ownership group, they could have spent more. Uh, and, you know, I'm willing to spend a billionaire's money for him, uh, him or her, if if that comes to pass. And they probably should have spent more. It would have been nice if they had spent more on DC <laughs> United. Um, but once they made the move to Audi Field, you know, yes, there's another cost there paying off the, the loans to the stadium. But you don't build a stadium and then nickel and dime it the rest of the way because you won't you'll eventually start to lose the return on your investment. And we're already seeing that the fan base was or I shouldn't even say the fan base, DC as a city was excited about DC United in 2018. 
And then they got less excited in 2019 because there wasn't really a follow through plan uh, for 2019. And now this year, you know, the team is dead last and you barely even hear about them locally anymore. Um, this is, right. and I think it's a lost opportunity. And yeah, and I think there needs to be parallel, a parallel vision to engage supporters, other fans, and, you know, bring in more people from the DMV to, to games and to watch on TV um, and all that. Like all of these things need to be happening in concert. Um, and, and it used to be Kyle Sheldon was doing the, the outside relations stuff and, and killing it. I mean, you, we saw a tribute, uh, or memories of Ben Olsen's chili bowl, which was, I think Kyle Sheldon's idea and led the execution on that. Um, but there's, there hasn't been anything similar to in recent years to just grab people in the community where they are and, and say, look, we're DC United. We're here. We, we are of you and among you um, other than Ben Olson, just living in the neighborhood. Like that's, that's been it. Um, I mean, and, I will say this year, this year on that front, they have made some real strides, um, but it has been long overdue. Yeah, uh, to, for sure. And, and, you know, this is another thing that needs to be a plan because in 2018, it was like, come to the new stadium, come see Wayne Rooney. And that was, that was the whole, right. That was the whole thing. Um, and in 2019, it was like, yeah, he's still here. Uh, right. Come see Wayne Rooney again. It's, it's not quite as fun this time, but you know, it's kind of the same. Um, right. But yeah, the whole, the club as a whole has, a lot of things to do. And in some, some cases they are further along than they get credit for. And in some other cases, um, especially on the soccer side, uh, there's just, it, it's not clear what is supposed to happen. Um, if we look at roster construction, uh, we've been complaining all season about this roster. We've been complaining yep. since the winter about this roster because it was short in obvious ways. It was short of, the requisite number of defenders to play any system that you're going to play. Um, that's, that's really kind of indefensible. Um, and that's also part of the reason why the team is where they are. Um, so, but even if, even if you don't get caught up in defensive shortcomings, how do Julian Gressel and Edison Flores and Ola Kamara fit together in the same system? Um, I kind of think you you have to play some sort of 3-5-2 with them. Um, now that we've kind of gotten enough on Flores to see that he's not really a number 10, he's more of a goal threat than a playmaker. Um, and Julian Gressel, we know, has had his best success as a wingback. Um, you, those are, th that means that you're putting together, you're spending the bulk of your money on players that if you're fitting them together, you're fitting them together in a system that the head coach doesn't really play that much. Um, ben Olsen would, if left to his own devices, would have been a 4-3-3 guy. Um, I know he didn't play very much 4-3-3. I know if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking like, well, he played 4-2-3-1. He played, that was what was available. Um, that was the team could sign one good attacking midfielder. So, you know, you support him with two defensive guys and, and you let him have some freedom. So you, you want to set up in that instead of anything else. But it's, again, this is that ad hoc element of not 
it's it, it, the pieces don't fit together and so you're just sort of trying to make it work um i'm thinking of like we were talking before we started the show about some uh post-college experiences and i'm thinking of the furniture in my post-college my first post-college house it was the, the interior design left something to be uh desired for us we had a hand-me-down leather couch we had this stupid table that didn't make any sense and was not useful. Uh, it was very unpleasant to experience, but we had the table. It was there until we moved out. That was our stupid living room table. Our love seat was a van seat uh, that got removed from my friend's van, and then his van, bro- his van broke down. He sold it to a mechanic, and then he came home and was like, I sold my van, and we're like, your van seat's still in the house. And instead of it being like, I guess we should throw it out, it was like, now it's part of the furniture. Um it didn't, none of it fit together. Um, and we were making it up as we went along and that's fine for a post-college house. It's not really fine for a sporting organization that's signing players for millions of dollars. Um, you know, now I'm thinking about it. How do I mentioned Gressel, Flores, Ariola, or, or, and Kamara, how do those three fit together with Paul Ariola, who arguably also belongs as a right wing back? Um, in a, any kind of back three having system. Um, how do these pieces fit together? Um, this is part of the problem is that there isn't necessarily a vision. It's just a like, well, we need some, we need a good attacking player. Let's go get one. Not, we need a player who does this. Um, yeah. And on, you know, I will say on some level, broadly speaking, I can kind of see the idea that, well, Julian Gressel had so much success with uh, Joseph Martinez, Bola Kamara also runs the channels. He's not a target man. Um, he's not as good as Martinez, but he's still pretty good. They should work well together. Well, maybe, but, you know, the way Kamara had success in Columbus was playing a system where it was the fullbacks providing the width and the wingers were actually tucked in. Um, and if you're going to have Julian Gressel in that system, you kind of have to play him at right back to get the same role out of him as he was in Atlanta. So that's a move that was made as like, well, let's go get a guy that's good at soccer. Not, yeah, we need a player that does this specifically to fit in with X, Y, and Z. Um, And there's too much of that. The the roster, when you look at it, we've been, we've seen, Ben Olsen tried too many formations this year. um, In my opinion, I think that was one of the shortcomings he had this season was not sticking to a plan short term. but also the pieces just didn't didn't and don't fit together. Um, that's part of the problem this year is is that uh, within this lack of long term vision, we're getting a short term problem, which is that there is attacking talent on this team. This is a broadly speaking an above average MLS roster in my opinion in terms of attacking talent. But raw talent doesn't mean fit, and I don't I don't think this group fits together, and that's kind of emblematic of DC United as a whole. Yeah, I I don't I, I don't think I can say it any better than that. That was a, a good example of exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to uh planning for on the field success. Um and and obviously the team has a lot of off the field work to do too. Um because the I, I still don't think they're right with supporters either. Um, it doesn't seem like it. So there, there's there's relationships that need to be mended there because the way you can survive um, in the stands when you are trying to do a rebuild, like a, a, a full-on 
ground up rebuild, like I think this, there's an argument this organization needs to do. Um, you're going to have a couple of rough years, uh, while you lay that foundation. Um, hopefully just one or two, but like it, there's going to be a rough patch there while you get things sorted and you, your fans and especially your supporters groups have to have faith in you. And there's not a lot of faith there right now. And, and that goes to the transition into Audi field um, and, and some choices made in the construction of Audi field. And since then, and that it's just that there's not a, a lot of goodwill there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mostly on the team. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and it's their job to, to make that relationship work because they are, the supporters are a resource for the team. Like a lot of the time going back to RFK that there were, there were aspects of people in the, the organization that viewed the supporters as a, a necessary evil. And instead of just a necessary part of what they're doing right. and a useful part of what they're trying to do. Uh, and I don't know if that's changed. I, I honestly don't. It may yeah, have. I mean, it, it's hard it to may judge not. this year because we've had two games. Right. Um, with fans in the stadium. Um, but yeah, that this is uh, these parts all fit together, um, and doing right by the fan base doesn't just mean winning soccer games. This is part of the reason exactly. why Olson was still. It, it's not even the even I've noticed this even um, people that I expected to be like overjoyed that he was let go as coach um, have have been upfront about like well it needed to happen there. Some of the loudest Olsen out commenters on the site were like, well, this was a necessary thing, but I'm still, you know, it kind of sucks that it happened because, you know, this was someone that represented more than wins and losses. Um, And that can sustain you for a long time, too. Uh, Soccer clubs are not just, uh, you know, some guys that go play a soccer game. Um, That's not what keeps you coming back uh, to a certain extent. I mean, Yes, if the team is always bad, you're going to stop. Eventually, most people will stop showing up. Um, but at the same time, most seasons don't end with championships for anyone. Um, so, what's going to keep you coming around if it's not getting an inevitable celebration at the end of the year? It's what is what does the club represent to you as a fan? Um, why do you care about it? Because it's all kind of, I mean, there's not functionally a big difference between me choosing to support a soccer team and me following baseball on the internet. Um, You know, it's, it's a series of random events. I don't have any control over Um, the difference in being in person is that I can, you know, if I, if I'm a fan in the stands, I can yell. um, And maybe that adds a tiny little bit of something, but that's, Ultimately, that's all the control I have. I don't have any other control over what's happening. Um, but why should I care more about this than a, you know, a fictional internet game that runs in a computer browser? Um, and the reason is that you build a community. Uh, and yes, that does. It gets better when the team is winning. It's more fun to be there when the team is winning. But when the fan base was strong, you could have a bad season and people were still like, well, I'm still going to show up. Where else am I going to do? Um, but, you right. know, even when people were calling for Tommy Soane's head, like right. the, the supporters sections at RFK were filled to overflowing right. and there were people in the upper deck. Like there were still 20 
plus thousand people a game coming back then, uh, even when a large segment of supporters were calling for Tommy Stone's head, they separated him from the the organization writ large. And because they I think felt like a, it was a, it, everything that they were requiring out of the team, other than wins and losses, was more or less correct. It was what the fans wanted right. to see. And yeah, it it's it, it's almost like the hierarchy of needs but specific to soccer supporters and right. the the needs in that relationship are not being met right now um and so i think i think that's part of why the the soccer side needed to be trying to maximize every year instead of maximizing the long term and that that leads to different types of choices and I I don't know where they what they're actually going to do from here, but um, just to to loop it all the way back around, like they need to plan, they need to figure out what they want to be in 2021, 2022, 2025, and I, I think what they want to be is a team that lifts trophies and then work from there. How do you accomplish that? Right, and and because that can't be it. Uh, because every team in the league will say, well, we'd like to win a championship. Um, you have to show your work. Uh, you can't just yeah. say like, well, that's the thing we want. Um, how are you going to get there? And you also, and this is maybe something that DC has done a bad job of, even even in their darkest times, they haven't really explained what it is they want to do uh, right. very well. Um, and this is a moment where they, I think as a club, top to bottom, you have to look at a season like this and say, okay, clearly we made some mistakes. You know, the coach, well, we've let our, we've let our coach go. Um, we're, I assume this is just speculation on my part. I assume that Dave Casper's general manager performance will be at least under evaluation at the end of the year. Um, but if you're evaluating all this stuff and you come to the conclusion that I, I really hope they come to, which is that there needs to be a clear vision with clearly elucidated steps along the way. Yes. You also have to tell the fan base. You have to let people know what it is you're trying to do. Um, Philadelphia Union fans spent years being pissed off because they didn't know exactly what the team was trying to do other than exist in Philadelphia. Um, and they are more happy now, because not just because the team's winning, but because they were told this is what it's going to look like. We're it's not trust invest- the process. It's here's the process. Right. Like we're going to invest in our academy. We're going to play this system with this uh, approach to the game. They, this wasn't the thing they sprung on people. This was known coming in. It's like Jim Curtin has been told by Ernst Tanner, he's got to change his formation. He's got to play a more high pressing style. Right. This and is to be what clear, we're going like, to That's not the only approach. Like you look at yes. what uh, Greg Vanny has in Toronto. He has a lot more tactical flexibility. Yes. But there's a vision there. This is the type of player we're going to try to acquire. We're going to supplement these very big name, expensive players with smart moves within the league and with a, a talent pipeline from our academy. And we are going to, <clears throat> excuse me, we are going to allow the coach to have tactical flexibility, but here are the principles we're going to use. We're going to try to execute things in a certain way. And how the coach goes about that is up to him. But we know the profile of the the roles we want on the team. 
whether that means they line up in a 4-4-2 diamond, a 4-2-3-1, a 3-5-2 is up to the coach, but the roles are going to be the same around the field, um, even if the positions are not exactly right. And that's a totally valid way to do it as exhibited by Toronto FC's success over the last several years. So it doesn't have to be the the GM or technical director or whatever you want to call it comes in and tells the coach, this is how you're going to play the game. It doesn't have to be like Billy Bean and Moneyball, but that is one approach. Right. There are other ones. I want the team to pick one. <laughs> and pick one and, and be clear with what they want. Exactly. To exactly. Um, when I'm, I'm a manifesto is what I'm asking for. I am writing a manifesto, demanding a manifesto <laughs> from the team. Are you going to uh, uh, go up to the stadium and uh, I would say like hammer it with a nail into some wood, but it's all metal and glass. So maybe what I'll do is I'll take a magnet. Yeah, there you go. Um, but like, if we want to think of when this goes wrong, think of Atlanta where they came yep. in and it was very clear what Tata Martino wanted to do. And there is some latitude there. Like he, he won uh, an MLS cup by changing tactics and actually becoming a counterattacking team in the playoffs, not for the rest of the season. He said, you know, short term, we need to do this instead of that. Um, but long term, the vision is still the vision. And when Frank DeBoer came aboard, he told everyone that it was just going to be some small changes. It, he didn't want to get away from what they were doing. And then it turned out he wanted to get away from what they were doing entirely. He got it all wrong and it became a huge mess. And now they're not very good. Um, and, and they're also, going through the same thing because they didn't have a plan right. for the manager yeah. to, to execute. They said, execute your plan with right. these players that were built under a different plan. And so they're having an identity crisis, the first sure. of their existence. And and somehow he ended up getting uh, the Netherlands head coaching job. I mean, uh, but may we all be blessed weird. to fail upward like yeah. Frank DeBoer. But, but this is an instance where they had a plan and then they kind of got away from it. They made one, a crucial hire that was not going to be compatible with their plan and it kind of ruined it. Uh, and now it's not clear what they want to do next. This is uh, a situation where Atlanta was upfront about their plan and then didn't follow it. But that's a better fate. There's a reason why Atlanta fans are less miserable than our fan base is right now. And part of it is that they at least knew what it was supposed to be. Uh, right now, we don't really know what it is supposed to be other than we would like to have a record that's good enough to get into the playoffs, um, which is just an all it's an also ran mentality. Um, right. And it's also a results based, like, right. It, we know what we want to do. So we're going to try to do that. It's there's no how in right. that. that that's and that's how you, an established how you part of the process. With, and that's how you end up with so much of the defense first tactics that everyone doesn't enjoy um, because you get backed into a corner because you don't have your plan to fall back on and carry you through some tough times. So what do you do? Like, well, it's easier in soccer to try and prevent soccer from happening than to be the one creating the soccer. Um, and so the clubs, you look around the league and you look around other leagues, the clubs that don't have a solid plan tend to end up playing this conservative approach, regardless of the exact nature of that conservatism, you get a conservative approach out of a team. You're more likely to end up there if you don't have a system of play, a a mindset of what it is your goals are and how you're supposed to get there. If it just becomes about, well, we need to win this weekend and that's our 
are the that's the whole goal. We we see have one game this weekend and that's it. Um, you're going to get a lot of defensive soccer. So this is another reason why DC United, if if they would like to play consistently entertaining soccer, uh, this is a thing they have to tackle. Is that that requires a plan. It's hard to attack and be good at soccer. Um, it yeah. is difficult. It takes a lot of work, and that work has to be built on a structure that that needs to be in place first. Right. Um, we, we hear championship teams talking about taking everything one game at a time. And that's that's how, exactly how the players should be, and to an extent during the season, the manager as well. But that's why you have a whole organization that's plotting a a longer term. Right. Uh, you don't strategy. want to be solving the problem every single week. Right. You, you, you want to come. You want to come in knowing, like, okay, this is generally what we're supposed to do, and here are some specific things for this one game. Not okay. How are we in this game? We're starting from scratch again. Um, that's not going to work. That that's a that's a thing that used to happen in the eighties and nineties. You can't you can't do it in soccer anymore. It doesn't work. Yep. Um, and that is a big reason why we're talking about a team that had to fire its coach that is dead last in MLS in in the worst Eastern Conference in years. Um, that's how you end up here. Is if you just don't have a plan for long enough, you eventually you make a couple mistakes and all of a sudden you're at the bottom. Um, so this is, I, I can't emphasize enough how important the next couple of months are for DC United. And the last time we were talking about an important moment, an inflection point for DC United was the opening of Audi field and the team kind of, kind of did a couple things that were good at that time, but kind of biffed it. That should have been like, we should be in year three of that plan. And we aren't, we are, yep. we are in year zero. We don't have a plan. Um, so you don't often get another chance where it's like, yeah, you know what? This is a moment to re start over. Um, and this is kind of that moment. If, yeah. if DC United wants to disassemble the roster as comprised and rebuild it, I think that there's a, a reason to do that. I think that you can make a coherent argument for it and say, look, 20, 2021 is a rebuilding year, uh, but we're rebuilding towards this. This is what we're going to do. And this year, you're going to see steps in that direction. It's not just going to be like, well, let's try and do better. Yeah. It's going to be clear. But, you know, who yeah, knows what I, we're going to And because it is an important, the next, like the next few months are are so important. That's the big reason why I don't want a coach announcement next week or even next month. Like, right. take your time. I want I want a full review. It doesn't have to be a total dismantling and firing of everyone on the soccer side, it does, I, I'm not calling for anything like that. I just want a conscious, wide-eyed review of everything on the soccer side. I don't know if that means bringing in a consultant or if Dave Casper is in a position to do it himself or what, but someone needs to look at everything that's gone wrong, have a debrief, and then make a plan to address all the shortcomings and set a North Star that will be there through thick and thin and just guide the ship toward that come what may and then hire a coach to execute that vision. And that's when you start making those roster choices is once the coach comes in mm -hmm. and it has to happen relatively quickly, but it doesn't have to happen this week. Right. It should start. It yep. should have started like the best time to start. It was before Audi field opened. The second yes. best time is now. So 
And Let's this is it. why, you know, people are frustrated that the interim coach is Chad Ashton. Um, you're not, they didn't make this move with a coach in the wings. Um, <laughs> this was a, okay, we've lost four in a row by a margin of 11 to one. Something has to give, um, you know, we have to change something. We have to show the fan base that something has to change. We have to make, you know, we have to start the process now. Um, but that necessarily, someone's going to have to coach the team in the meantime. Um, so he's here, he's been around. Uh, I, I don't understand the fan base's feelings about Chad Ashton. I never have. I feel like people did not like him from day one and I never understood why. Um, and I don't understand now. I, I don't think there's a lot of knowledge base of who he's going to be. I also don't think it matters all that much, uh, who is currently coaching DC United for these last seven games. And I say seven because I do not anticipate a playoff spot uh, with DC United in 2020. Um, it, it ultimately, even if they did make the playoffs, it wouldn't matter. Um, they, by the way, they are seven points out with seven games to go. So they would need a historic level comeback to get into the playoff picture. Um, but even if they did, it doesn't matter. It's uh, meaningless to finish 10th in the East and get one playoff game this year. It doesn't matter. Um, what matters is this other stuff, the, the, the stuff that we're unfortunately we're probably not going to see much of until it happens is the formulation of this plan, the evaluation of everyone in the club, the evaluation of candidates to take over. Um, all of that stuff is more important than what happens in these final seven games. So they should absolutely take their time and they should aim high. Um, yeah. This should not be a team that is just, you know, hiring a guy that's been around MLS or whatever. Um, because we've we're, seen, we're past... oh, go ahead. We, we've seen European technical directors come in and have great success in MLS mm -hmm. very quickly, especially when they're surrounded with people who know the intricacies of the league. Um, so it, you know, if, if they are hiring someone from within MLS, I hope it's poaching Garth Lagerway from Seattle. Otherwise <laughs> look, expand your, your view a little bit and, and look at clubs in Europe, look at, um, even Mexican clubs. Like there, there are, there are candidates who have qualities and have connections both for buying and selling players and also understand setting visions and executing them that, that aren't an MLS. And a lot of MLS teams have had success with those. Ernst Tanner at, at the union is a prominent just, example. Is the, the latest example. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're past the day where it, it, there was a stretch of time where in MLS, the kind of candidate you could get from abroad didn't take the league seriously, thought that they would come in and be the smartest guy in the room. Didn't under, didn't really even want to understand MLS's very unique way of doing things and they would fail. And so there was an idea like, well, you know, outsiders just will never get this league. If it's not someone with deep experience here, they'll never figure it out. Um, the league has gotten serious enough that the candidates they get come in and take it seriously. And we found that it's not impenetrable. People can figure it out. Um, and so that means the days where you had to go to the limited pool of MLS experienced candidates, uh, those days are over. Um, you can go get someone, I mean, okay, if you're Arthur Blank, you can go get Tata Martino, um, but for the money that you can put up, you 
you don't have to settle for just, you know, I, I had one person suggest to me the, the or asked me about uh, the possibility of someone like Dominic Kinnear. Um, and I'm not throwing Dominic Kinnear under the bus, but if, if it's that level of hire that comes after this, it, that's a disaster of a hire. Um, because there's no, there's no, you're not going to get the long-term plan. We've been spending this whole show talking about that's a survival coach. That's not a, um, we have a vision that's going to build towards something in a few years, coach. Um, there's a whole world out there of soccer people who know a lot. Um, and DC United should be casting a very wide net to try and figure out a, like, let's find someone who's very talented who can do things maybe a little differently than uh, the other coaches around the league. We've seen, you know, even San Jose, as much as they've also had terrible lows under Matias Almeida, they also had one of the worst rosters in the league and were able to surprise some people playing a completely different style. Yeah. I don't personally, I do not want to see a man marking uh, all over the field coach. Cause I feel like the number of times the wheels fall off playing that way, is there's a reason no one else does it is because the wheels fall off all the time. Um, but there are other ways of doing things like Tata came in and immediately people were like, this is revolutionary. I, you know, we've never seen anything like this in MLS before. Um, there are other coaches out there that can bring that, that kind of, uh, highly, highly practiced, highly studied, highly educated, um, thought process to building a team in MLS. It doesn't have to be, the same old, same old. Um, and it would be a, it would be such a disappointment if DC United decided that they just needed somebody that has a little more uh, experience and not someone who is much more experienced or much more proven at a higher level. Um, because MLS is an attractive place for coaches now. Um, this team should be an attractive gig. You're playing in a new stadium, a new trading facility is about to be open. There is a B team structure under the under the team that plays in the second division. Um, you have an academy that is starting to improve visibly. We see it, you know, one thing that should happen in these last seven games is that uh, Paredes, Nyman, and Yao should start every game as long as they're fit. Um, let's not waste these seven games. That That's something that's pretty important. But uh, all of these things combine to being the, it's a pretty good raw, set of raw ingredients. Um, DC is a soccer city already. Um, we see it and it's these, a world market. Like, yeah, uh, you, but you have to put, you have to be able to prove to people that it's worth their time. Um, and if you come in and play a style of play that people want to see, and you have a plan that is building towards something, people will be able to figure out whether you're building towards something or not. Uh, it is fairly clear, fairly quickly, whether a coach is just getting by and figuring it out on a week to week basis or if they have a real coherent plan underpinning all of their actions. Um, and you can hire a coach that can execute that kind of plan here. This is, this is no longer the DC United that is, you know, Caleb Porter is turning down. Um, or Lucien Favre is like, well, I, I'm interested, but, you know, there's some stuff going on in Germany. Uh, I'm going to go do that instead. You can go for guys like that. Um, you know, Lucien Favre, maybe not Favre right now, but well, not right now, but you know, the, the point is that, uh, that is the mindset that they need to take. They need to be aiming for a, a guy of that quality. Um, so if that's someone coaching in South America, if that's someone coaching in Bundesliga or Portugal or England, 
I, I kind of don't want to see a Swansea City attached coach because that kind of that feels like looking down the hallway and being like, hey, who's here that coaches soccer? Um, I, I don't want it to be that narrow. Um, but outside of that, uh, you know, there's a, a whole world of extremely talented coaches that could really execute something special here. But, but you know, the next couple of months figuring out, getting the ducks in a row so that you know what kind of coach you want to go get are crucial. And then getting that right coach in place, um, that's going to be just as crucial. But, you know, knowing who the coach is before Halloween, that's silly. If we find, if we have a coaching announcement before Halloween, I'm going to assume the worst. Um, that's, so, that would be bad news. This is a thing that is going to take some time. So people should not necessarily get hung up on where's the coach, who's the coach going to be. Wait until like December. If it gets to be like Christmas time and there's no rumblings of a new coach, then you should start worrying because preseason's not far off at that point. Um, right. But well, it, if we're talking on Halloween and they're like, yeah, yeah, we already got someone lined up. Like that's, that's not a good sign. Right. Well, I, I think I'll end the show by just being the first to welcome uh new DC United coach, John Spencer. <laughs> wait, wait, John Spencer from the John Spencer blues explosion. Uh, and not the ex MLS coach. I'm, I'm going to leave that open to interpretation. Thank you all for listening. Um, you know where to find us. Uh, black and red united.com patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially we're on twitter at black and red you at filibuster dcu for the podcast send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com uh we're available to download and uh subscribe wherever you get your podcasts please give ratings and reviews mostly though please tell a friend about the show so as you work through your feelings um on a zoom call just mention us i guess to to your friend who's similarly working through their feelings on the other end uh for jason ben should be back next week i'm adam and uh we'll talk to you again bills real soon um i'm i'm still in my feelings i miss ben i do say goodbye jason what is explosion <laughs> <laughs>